0: Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and welcome to you. Thank you for joining me for this lesson. Today we are in our Yeshua, Son of David, study of Matthew's Gospel, and we're in lesson 43. We're going to look at the Christ, Jesus as the Christ. What does that mean? Let's discuss it. As Jesus knows that his ultimate destiny is fastly approaching now, he begins to reveal more and more to his disciples and challenge them to understand that they must make their own decision about who he is and be devoted to the truth of that. We're going to read today as we continue in Matthew 16, we're going to read verses 13 through 20. In Matthew 16 and it says this when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi he asked his disciples saying who do men say that I the son of man am so they said some say John the Baptist some Elijah and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets he said to them but who do you say that I am I'm going to read that one more time. It's very important. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Then he commanded his disciples that they should tell no one that he was Jesus the Christ. I want us to notice now that Jesus is on the move with his disciples. He comes to an area known as Caesarea Philippi. This was part of the northernmost part of Israel in the upper Galilee area. This would be near Mount Hermon which is the highest mountain in Israel. Mount Hermon was a symbol of pagan worship. There was a lot of pagan worship that happened on Mount Hermon. There's actually now you can go and if you tour in Israel I've seen the tours. I've not been myself, but I've seen the tours on video and so forth. And there's caves where they had idol worship going on there. And they they worshiped a God they called Pan. And this was done in the Mount Hermon area and in the caves on that mountain. So it's appropriate that Jesus is making this proclamation here in this Mount Hermon area in Upper Galilee, In the area of Caesarea Philippi. Jesus now begins to drill down to the single most important question of all times and for all people. Who am I? Jesus asked them, who am I? Who do you hear people say that I am? And they gave him the various answers, Jeremiah, Elijah, etc. But then he drills down even more But more importantly, his focus drills to them. Who do you individually say that I, the Son of Man, am? Who am I to you? Who are you convinced that I truly am? Do you know me for who I am as an individual person? Beloved friend, that's the most important question. For every single person back then and even today. Who do you say that I, the Son of Man, am? The Lord is asking. Peter, who a lot of times is kind of a foot-in-the-mouth type uh, responder. Sometimes he jumps in and sticks his foot in his mouth, so to speak. But Peter jumps up in this time and he says, You are the Christ. What does that mean? Who is Jesus? The Christ. He's the Messiah. The Mashiach. The anointed one. Isaiah had prophesied in Isaiah chapter 61, verse 1 through 3, about this coming Messiah, this anointed one. And he said in there that the spirit of the Lord is upon me and has anointed me. And then he goes in and he talks about telling the good news, the gospel, breaking breaking the chains off of the poor and the and the those in bondage and setting captives free, etc. He's the anointed one. He's the anointed one. Every priest in the Old Testament had to be anointed. Every king in the Old Testament had to be anointed. Jesus came to be our priest king, as we're told in Psalm 110 and, and other places. He is the anointed one. He is the Mashiach, the promised one who was to come, the one they've been waiting for. The one that the prophets had spoken of. The one that the whole of the Tanakh had spoken of and prophesied about. The one who God said would come. So Peter gets it right. Peter gets it right this time. He says, you are the Christ. The anointed one. The one that the prophets told us was coming. The one we've been waiting for. You are the one God has sent. The son of the living God. The son of the living God also had been prophesied in the Hebrew scriptures to come. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 6 through 9, for instance, it talks about how God said to him, This day I have begotten you. You are my son. Talking about the son of God that was coming. Proverbs chapter 30, verse 4 and 5 speak from Agur, the son of j k. These words about, okay, we, we know this is God. He's the only one who can, who can gather all the wind in his fist, who can, can capture all the, the waters of the seas in his garment and in his hand. He's the only one that can do that. What is his name and what is his son's name? We know that he had a son. This was pictured for us in Genesis 22 when God preached the gospel to Abraham, as Paul tells us in Galatians chapter three. In Genesis chapter three fifteen, the seed of the woman, the son, was promised, who would come and crush the serpent's head. Isaiah seven fourteen talks about the virgin that will conceive the Son, and his name would be God with us. Emmanuel. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6 and 7 says, Unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, not just any son, the son of the living God. So In a sense, it was as if in this moment, it was like ding, ding, ding. Peter speaks up dead on spot. He got it right. He gave the perfect answer. You are the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the son of the living God. So Jesus responds to Peter and his answer. And he tells Peter, Peter, this came from the Holy Spirit of God. This was a revelation from God the Father. Revealing to you who I am, who Jesus is, because of Peter's faith to believe in God and the one whom God has sent. In John chapter 6, in John chapter 6, I'd love to encourage you to read the whole section from 27 through verse 40, but I'm going to read just a few of those verses now. In John chapter 6, beginning in verse 27, Jesus is speaking here and he says this, do not labor for the food which perisheth, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you because God the Father has set his seal on him. Then they said to him, What shall we do that we may work the works of God? In other words, what, what kind of work do we have to do to please God and to earn his favor? This is Jesus' answer, verse 29. Jesus answered and said to them, This is the work of God, that you believe in Him whom He sent. That you believe in Jesus, the one whom God the Father sent, the Messiah, the Christ. The whole crux of the matter is that we believe in Jesus, the one whom He has sent. Everyone who comes to Him in faith, just like Peter did here, is the one who has worked the works of God and will be saved and have everlasting life. Jesus will raise him in the resurrection to life eternal. If you keep on reading in that section, you will see that that all who come to Jesus, he will not cast out, but rather he will keep them and he will raise them in the resurrection to life eternal. This is the answer Peter gave to Jesus' question that determines your eternal destiny your answer whatever it may be to jesus question who do you say that i am beloved friend god is a personal god the call to salvation the offer to you is individual to you you can't be saved on somebody else's coattails so to speak You can't ride on your parents. You can't ride on the coattails of so-and-so or your pastor or your wife or your brother or your husband or whoever it is. You must answer yourself this question. And no one else can answer it for you. And your eternal destiny, eternal destiny, rides on this answer. Who do you individually say that Jesus, the Son of Man, is your eternity depends upon it. You see, beloved friend, God created every one of us for eternal life, to live forever. Every person will live forever. Ecclesiastes 3.11 tells us that God has put eternity in our hearts. So every person will live forever. The question is not, will we live forever? The question is, where will we live forever? Where? Beloved friend, there's a call to you. This question is to you and you must answer it individually. There's only two places eternally where you will be. One is called heaven and one is called hell. You may have heard of these in many ways. You may have heard of these in cursing ways. You may have heard of these in church. You may have heard of these at friends' parties and and bars and who knows where. So you may have skewed Visions or ideas about what heaven and hell really is But I want to give you just a little bit of a synopsis right now Because the deciding factor of which one of these will be your eternal destiny is Your answer individually to this question. Who do you say that Jesus is? Do you really believe in him as Lord and Savior as the anointed one as the Messiah that God has sent Do you really believe that or not? Your answer to that question will determine which one of these two places you will spend eternity. You don't have another choice and you don't have a choice after you die. There's no such thing as some in-between place where you can make up for your rejection of Jesus Christ. It's eternal. Once you breathe your last, your eternal destiny is secured and you have no other way out. You will spend eternity in either heaven or hell both are very real places and the determining factor is the same answer that Peter had to give to Jesus who do you say that I am the saved those who answer as Peter did with true faith in Jesus you are the Christ the son of the living God I believe in you and my salvation rests in believing in you and faith in your blood It's what you've done it's who you are and I believe you God Those that will answer like Peter did in that way will be saved and will spend eternity, living eternity in heaven because their names will be found written in the Lamb's book of life. Hell is the eternal destiny for all who will not believe and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior for their life. They'll not believe in him. They will not believe that he is the Christ, the son of the living God, the Lord and master. Hell is a very, very real place. And it's not what your friends may have joked about and made you to believe. There'll be no parties in hell. There'll be no friends in hell. There'll be no love in hell. There'll be no peace in hell. It's a very real place of utter darkness, utter loneliness, and utter torment. Because it's a place of eternal separation from God Almighty, the only one who is the source of peace and light, and life, and joy. There'll be none of that in hell. The Bible even talks about the place where the worm will never die, but it'll be crawling on people all the time. It's that utter darkness, like if you go down into the deepest part of a cavern, and all lights are out, and it's an eerie darkness that you can feel. These are very real about the place called hell. God gives you a choice right now, beloved friend. You do not have to go there. Every one of us was on our way to hell because we're born with a sinful nature, and it doesn't take long for that to come out even in young children. It's just in us, it's our nature until we are given a new nature because we believe in Jesus Christ and call upon Him and be saved. The Bible tells us all the details about the choice that He's given us so that we can make our own decision, like Peter and all the others had to do as well. You choose. Which way you will go you choose if you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and that includes turning to him in repentance Repentance is when you were going one way And you make a whole hundred and eighty degree turn and come back and go the opposite way Instead of going away from God you're going to him instead of going towards sin and into sin You are turning from that and you are choosing life eternal. You are choosing good life. You are choosing righteousness You make the choice and your eternity depends on your choice not god's choice he's made the way available for everyone he's given the gift of his son that all who will believe in him john 3:16 will not perish you won't have to go to hell you'll be able to believe in him and have everlasting life in heaven the very real place of continual eternal brightness light life joy and peace So the question is not if you will live forever, but where are you going to live forever and how? What's your life going to be like eternally? Will it be torment eternally or will it be bliss and joy eternally? You see, beloved friend, the gift that God has given us is what's contained in the gospel. The good news, God has given a preferred end destiny for all who will believe. He has made the way available. It's like he's wrapped up the gift, stuck a nice pretty bow on it, and it's got your name on it. But you must receive it in order to be blessed by it. You must receive Jesus. So Jesus commends Peter's faith. He's not exalting Peter as some revered one, some holy one, some saint. But rather he is commending him as a leader in the bold faith of believing in Jesus And being able to declare so publicly. Peter, his name, Jesus says, is a piece of rock or a stone, a smaller stone. Versus the rock of Revelation. The rock that is used there when he says, Upon this rock I will build my church. That's the large rock. The ground of stone, the ledge. It signifies firmness. It's the same. It's the same as what's used in Matthew 7. When Jesus speaks of the two houses, the one that was built upon the sand versus the other that was built upon the rock, it's this same rock, this firmness, this ground of stone, this hardness, this firmness. It's interesting also that in both of these places that I refer to here, the rock that's used is a feminine Greek word. And it's interesting to me that that the authors use the the feminine Greek for this word, quoting from Jesus. Because we are called later, all who will believe in Jesus, the body of Christ is also called by both Paul and John the Apostle as the bride of Christ. The bride of Christ. In the final verses of the section we read today where Jesus As is drawing out of them, do they really believe the truth of who he is? That he is Jesus the Christ, the son of the living God. Beginning in verse 18 and and following through verse 20. Jesus speaks of this new building he will make. He calls it the church. It's the Greek word ecclesia, And it means the called out ones. Jesus in John 17 spoke about how the church the disciples, the, the body of believers he was praying for were in the world but not of the world. In other words, we're called out from being within the world. We're called out from the world's system. We're called out from the world belief. We're called out from the world's lifestyle. It reminded me of like a subset, like a Venn diagram. If you study in math classes and so forth, it's like a Venn diagram where you have a subset it's a special group within the whole, but yet it's a separate group. And so it's, it's like God is telling us we are separate. We're called out. We're still in the world, but we're a subset within the world because we're called out separate unto him. We're not to be like the world. We're not to be of the world. We're not to follow or obey the world. This ecclesia refers to this special gathering or special community special assembly of christians for worship those that are united in christ those that are in that subset and it is also speaking of this feminine greek word the bride of christ in second corinthians eleven two, paul speaks of how he has espoused us to one husband as a chaste bride in ephesians 5 25 through 26 paul speaks of how the husbands are to love their wives As Christ loves his church, his bride. This church, this ecclesia, is the bride of Christ. And this ecclesia, Jesus says, will be built on the solid rock of Jesus. The rock of the revelation of who he is. That he is Messiah, Lord and Savior. He is the Christ, the anointed one, the smeared one of God. The one who is anointed as priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. The one who is anointed Messiah King, the King of all kings. The church is built by Jesus like a house that's being built. The author of Hebrews speaks of this in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 1 through 6, when he compares Moses, who was a faithful builder, a faithful household, a faithful servant, to Jesus, the actual builder of the house, and how much better Jesus is because he's the one that built the house He's the son who built the house, who owns it. The church, Jesus says, will be built on this rock and the gates of Hades, the gates of hell, will not prevail against it. It's interesting again here that he is in Caesarea Philippi and teaching this to his disciples in the area of Mount Hermon where there had been so much pagan worship and idolatry. And so Jesus is saying the evil forces, the evil influences will not prevail against my church. They will not overpower my church. They will not be able to get the upper hand or predominate or exercise force down upon my church. The evil forces, that they will not be superior in strength. They may try, they may oppress or attempt to fight against us, but they will not win. Because Jesus says the gates of Hades will not prevail against my church that I am building. And Jesus gives to the church the keys of the kingdom. The power and the ability to open and shut. Anybody who has keys has a level of authority. And Jesus is saying there is a level of authority as being in Christ. Because he is the one with all authority. He said that just before he left the earth. In Matthew 28 verse 18. That all authority has been given to him in heaven and in earth. We need to understand that there's a level of authority that he shares or delegates with his church. Not like us being like some little gods. It's not that. But we are ambassadors of Jesus Christ, Paul tells us. For the things of God in the earth. For his work. Not for our own glory or prosperity. But rather for him and his glory. And his kingdom work to advance. Part of this is binding and loosing, and there's many different explanations and teachings on binding and loosing. Some take it beyond what I believe Scripture does in, entrust us with, but there is a delegation of authority to some degree in binding and loosing. To bind means to enchain or to forbid something. To bind it, to fasten it, and to loose is the opposite, to loose is to open or to set it free, to unbind or unfasten. This authority is in reference to the advancing and operation of the kingdom of heaven. It's not for our own will or for our whims. It's for God's will and God's purposes on the earth. But we do it as his representative, as his ambassadors. And then in verse 20, Jesus commanded them to keep silent about who he is. Now, why would he do that? Well, I have a couple of ideas. I want to share these with you. First of all, I think it's a timing matter. He still had to complete his work. He still had to die on the cross and be raised from the dead for salvation to be made available to all. So I believe there was a timing factor. The other thing I believe it has to do with the fact that each person must make their own personal individual choice. It's their own decision without any force or coercion. Jesus knew who he was, and they knew who he was. But each individual must come to that same understanding and knowledge as God works individually in them, revealing himself to them. And that offer is still available today. Jesus is the Christ, the anointed one, the Messiah promised. Here again, Matthew shows us this clearly as he relates this encounter that he would have that he, meaning Matthew, would have also been a part of. After Jesus' death and resurrection, when he writes his gospel for us, he can then freely tell us all about it and the origins of God's church, the house that's built on the rock that Jesus had spoken of, because Jesus is the anointed one, the Christ. Beloved friend, keep in mind and please take this seriously because your eternal destiny and mine depends on how we answer the same question Jesus posed to his disciples who do you say that i the son of man am that's what he asked them that's what he still asks you and me today and our eternal destiny rests on the answer to that question will we join with peter And our faith in Jesus Christ. Receive the gift that God has sent in the Son of God he sent to us. Believe on him for our salvation and receive him. For he is the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes and messages brought through Covenant Truth Ministries. May God bless you today in Jesus' name. Amen.